today around like, I don't know, 2 or something, 2 p.m., pretty late. I don't know, maybe before that, but I, I just got this picture. Um, and to some of you guys who, who are not as familiar with Holy Spirit or with charismatic stuff or spiritual terms, I had a, a prophetic vision, and that's just fancy terminology for I had a picture in my mind from God. He was speaking to me, something personally, and I, I had this picture of my hands, and I just saw a bunch of oddly misshapen, ugly, dry, brittle seeds placed in my hands, okay? And, and in my hands, I saw these seeds <laughs> that were, like, not very promising, um, all different sizes and shapes, but all ugly and dry and brittle. And I just saw my take. I took the seeds, and I threw them on the ground, <laughs> and I, like, walked away. <laughs> and and um, I just felt the word of the Lord come, and, and God really convicting my heart that... Um, that that is how we often treat the promises and the words of God in seed form. Seeds that were meant to be planted, seeds that were meant to be watered, seeds that were meant to grow up into fruitfulness, oftentimes we take the seeds and before we do any of that, we just throw them on the ground. And I I believe God was saying, I want you to preach on prayer, on intercession at SNU today. And then I was like, crap, I don't have much time to write that message. Um, so we're not, I'm not preaching on grace today, y'all. Sorry, another message, another day. But today I'm going to talk about the importance of intercession, the importance of prayer, okay? Um, so for those of you who went to the retreat this weekend, many of you, most of you, I would say, got pretty um, touched by God and, um, you know, for those who are familiar with Holy Spirit terminology, you guys got wrecked by the Holy Spirit. The fire of God was poured out. You guys were rolling on the ground and screaming and weeping. And you guys felt the powerful, all-consuming, fiery love of God come upon you in a weighty and thick and tangible way. And it was awesome. For those of you who aren't as familiar with the Holy Spirit terminology, um, that's totally fine. But basically, it just means that God's love became very real. And, and it's like, you know, if, if there's like an infinite ocean of something and we know that that love of God through salvation, through like different ways God speaks to us through his word or whatever, we all know, though, that God is infinite, right? We can never know the depths of his love, the depths of his power, the depths of his grace, even if we thought about it for every second until we died, right? And so there's some moments in time when we consecrate ourselves and we really begin to hunger and expect things from God. And then he comes in power and he like shows us and reveals to us like a big piece of that, not a big piece, but a seemingly big piece of that infinite love he has for us in one moment. And it's like overwhelming, right? Like if, if gallons of water were dumped on your head, you would kind of feel something, right? Imagine that that's what it's like when those moments of glory come and God just, rushes you with his love, okay? So that's what the retreat was like for a lot of us. And um, so I'm preaching this message. For those who went to the retreat, you guys got blasted by Holy Spirit. You guys got set on fire. This is specifically for you because I believe God, it was a fire for intercession, specifically for SNU. For those of you who didn't go to the retreat, I want you really to get my heart tonight that God is calling each of us, each of you, to steward to, to plant, to sow, to water, to grow the words and the promises he's given to you in your personal life. Okay? All right. <clears throat> um, I think that this message had to go out tonight because, you know, like, um, there's this Greek word called kairos, right? Kairos time. And we all know that chronological time goes based on the clock, Right? 24 hours in a day, and then there's seven days a week, there's months, there's years. It just continues on. It's linear, right? But Kairos time is different. It's on the calendar of heaven, and it's like these divine times where God has already written it down in his calendar. It's not chronological time. It's Kairos God time, and it's like these divine moments of intervention where he wants to do something ridiculous, crazy, and powerful. And in these Kairos times for things, he sometimes gives us a window of opportunity, and then he'll, he'll kind of like give us inklings about something and we can seize that window and that grace or we can just let it pass by. Okay, if we let it pass by, we're not going to get hurt, but we kind of missed out on something, right? Like what if I just came in and I'm like, um, I have free 
free tickets to Lotte World, but the next five seconds are when you can claim them, right? Okay, so you didn't really know that you were missing Lotte World tickets until I just said that, right? And in the five-second window of opportunity, you can claim them. If you don't claim them, you're fine. You're not going to go to Lotte World, though, right? But if you claim them in that window of opportunity, you get a free prize, and it's a fun time, right? Right now, I believe there's a window of opportunity. Like God's saying, hey... There's going to be a really crazy fruitfulness. There's going to be a really crazy grace on you to pray. Free Lotte World tickets. Everybody who wants them, claim them now. Okay? And that's what I believe this message is stirring us to do. And so, forgive me if it's not polished or doesn't make much sense, but that's what we're doing tonight. Okay? Lotte World tickets for prayer. All right. So, I want you to open up your Bibles to Romans 12. Romans 12. Romans 12, starting with verse 9. Romans 12, starting with verse 9. It says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. I'm going to read it to you in the message translation. Love from the center of who you are, don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Okay? And I feel like this word... Um, this this passage of scripture, it's something that we have to hold fast to in the middle of the semester. I think we start off the semester with a lot of momentum. Um, we start off with a lot of like excitement, expectation of what it can be. But then soon, you know, we got midterms. We got a lot of family stuff happening. We got a lot of activities at school. We're getting tired. We're lacking on sleep. We're getting sick. A lot of stuff happens that kind of can keep the momentum from progressing. And we just start getting really distracted. We start... You know, kind of, uh, does it really matter if I go? Does it really matter if I go on time? Does it really matter at all if I pray? Does it matter if I don't really give my all in worship? Like, really, does it really matter? And we start kind of pulling back our hearts, closing up our hearts, kind of letting the momentum in us die down. And we don't come stirred up, ready to encounter God, expectant, but we kind of come, well, I'll see what God wants to do. If he moves, that's great. If he doesn't, I'm not going to be disappointed because I wasn't expecting anything anyway, right? It's a really, really sad way to live, but unfortunately, a lot of us just tend to slip into that over time. But here, this passage says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert, servants of the master. Cheerfully expect it. Don't quit in hard times, but pray all the harder. These moments are the moments where you got to dig your feet in, and you got to go for it. you got to go for it. You don't pull back now, but you go for it, and you let the Holy Spirit continue to propel you forward, right? For those of us who came from the retreat, this word is very applicable because we just received an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We just received fire, right? Now we got to keep burning. Now what do we do with that fire? What do we, what's the purpose of it, all right? So the first thing I want to do is talk about how we can keep our fire burning. Whether you went to the retreat, you got the fire recently, or it's middle semester and you had it at the beginning and expectancy, but now you're not really sure. You feel a little discouraged or apathetic. Number one, it's about seeking him daily, okay? Seeking him daily. And and a lot of times, guys, because I'm like an all-in kind of person, I'm like, you know, unless I can light 17 candles and turn off all the lights and all my roommates are gone and I can spend two hours in Bible study and, and weep and, and then, you know, have like Bethel or like worship blasting for an hour. Like, unless I can do all that, like, what's the use of even praying today, you know? So I want to just do it, do it big or do, not do it at all. Like, that's my personality. And so like, there's seasons of my life where I'm like, I don't have time to do that. 
you know, and my roommates are home. I'm not going to just be able to go buck wild and, and like, I don't have 17 candles. So like, uh, you know, I, what's the point? You know, I can't go big. So does it really matter if I say a little prayer here? If I give 15 minutes here, if I read the word for just 30 minutes here, if I just sing one worship song, if I talk to the Lord on the way to my office or whatever. But I want you guys to really let go of the, it has to be big or none at all. And the little things of God daily, bit by bit, they matter, okay? When you have a fire, it's like if you actually like just throw on all these logs at one time, sometimes you kill it, right? You got to just feed the fire little by little. You got to put some more logs in here. You got to put it in the right place. You can feed the fire of your faith little by little, daily, okay? And so daily seek him, guys. Even mid-semester, even when it's busy, even when you feel run dry, one chapter, it makes a difference. Getting a little bit of the word to chew on that day, it makes a difference. One prayer before you go to bed at night, getting on your knees and just telling the Lord about your day, telling him your heart, it matters. Don't disqualify that. That little, God, I love you. God, I need you. God, thank you for this. That matters to the heart of God, who's always watching you, whose heart is always attentive to you. Okay, and I think some of us disqualify ourselves and we think, oh, we are. I already missed. I already pushed news. I already was late to class. So like, you know, everything I do from here is just, you know, bad. I can't do anything right. The whole day is ruined. No, you can't get into the mentality. That's performance mentality. And you're a son, a daughter of God. He is always rejoicing to see you. He's never pointing a finger, harshly judging you. Okay, and so first seek him daily. And um, second is to stay on the altar, to stay flammable, okay? Stay on the altar and stay flammable. You know, a lot of us at the beginning of the semester, I, I preached a message about taking the narrow road, right? And I was like, okay, like, um, what is that, the Robert Frost poem again? Um, Two roads diverge in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and it has made all the difference, right? And then, who here wants to take the narrow road and the road less traveled by and commit this semester to God? And some of you came up here with tears in your eyes, with, with repentant hearts, and you were like, laying your heart on the altar. God, I want to give you this semester. I'll take the road, the narrow road, right? And I want to give you my heart this semester. And you're all in. Okay, like, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of time, it, fe- it feels like years have passed since that day. And, and so much has changed. And, and if you knew then what you know now, you maybe not, would not have <laughs> went up to that altar call. But, but I want you to tell you that when, when the Lord spoke to your heart and when you came up here, you received a grace. Okay. The reason we have people come up here is not so we can trap you. <laughs> in some type of hard commitment, okay? It's so that we can pray and impart a grace for you. You are actually receiving something from God more than you are signing your life away to God at altar calls, okay? So um, so you received a grace to be able to set apart this semester, a grace to be able to seek the Lord this semester. Sometimes it's hard, but it's not a matter of just like, being mean to yourself and condemning yourself, you know, and just pushing through in your own strength. It's a matter of laying hold of the grace that has been accessible to you, laying hold of the grace that God's given to you, leaning not on your own understanding and strength, but continually asking the Lord for help and grace in doing this day-to-day walk, okay? And so how do we continue to to keep burning for the Lord, to continue to, to run a flame for God, right? Even when it's a little bit difficult mid-semester, we got to stay on the altar, okay? You guys physically came up here and laid your hearts on the altar and you committed your heart to the Lord. Even if you didn't do it at that altar call, if you became a believer at any point in your life, that's actually what you did, okay? You said, God, I submit my will and my heart to you. You're my Lord and this is my heart and it belongs to you. And you've it says in the word of God that we are living sacrifices, okay? In the Bible, Old Testament, sacrifices are put on the altar, okay? The Lord, we set them ablaze on fire, and it's a pleasing incense to the Lord. We are living sacrifices to God, okay? When we become believers, that's 
actually what's happening. We're laying our lives down. We're not alive anymore. As the, I'm not alive as the old Rona. The old is gone. The new has come. The new Rona is alive only in Christ Jesus. Okay? And so, so what happens, though, is, is difficulties come. Discouragements come. Our own selfish desires and ambitions come. Fears come. And being on the altar is extremely uncomfortable. <clears throat> and so what happens is we just start crawling off. And, and we start doing things we used to do. We start thinking things we used to think. And, and even though the old self is dead, when we take ourselves off the altar, off that hot, uncomfortable place where we're burning by the fire of God, um, we start living as zombies. You know, old self starts resurrecting stuff that we have been overcoming stuff that died stuff that we should not be dealing with anymore. It starts coming back. We got all these super crazy fears and anxieties and struggles that we have no idea where it's coming from again. And we're like, are, am I even saved? Like what am I even a Christian? Like what's going on? Is all this stuff fake? Is that a whole encounter? Is the love of God not even real? Is the power of God not even real? But it's not God that has changed. It's us that's removed ourselves from that place, right? From that place of surrender to God where he can actually, you know, do something with us. Where the fire of God can actually empower us to live victorious lives. You can't resurrect your old self and live in the flesh and expect the power of God to move in you. You can either have your power and the power of the flesh, or you can have the power of God, okay? And I promise if you're a Christian, it's super hard to live in the flesh and in your old nature because it's dead, okay? And so we have to stay on the altar. We have to stay on the altar because that's where we can stay flammable. Everybody say flammable. Okay, I grew up on a farm, and I keep stepping on this cord. I grew up on a farm, and uh, my, my grandpa had this shop, and he would just sit there all day, and he would, he like was a master at making fires, okay? And my grandpa was like really cool guy. He always like, like smoking cigars and like cussing like the presidents and then like making his fire and saying like, you know, like cryptic things that no one understands. And then like, so he would just build his fire and just poke at it all the time. But one thing I knew about my grandpa starting fires is that you don't just, start it with any kind of wood. You pick what's most flammable. You catch that stuff on fire and you set up the logs the right way. And then, then you start the fire with that, right? The most flammable things are what you start with. For example, newspaper, okay? Smaller twigs, things that burn very easily is what you first light on fire. Okay. We have to be a people that are flammable, that are easily set on fire. Okay, so when the presence of God comes, as soon as Bo gets over here, you know, and starts worshiping God, <laughs> as soon as, you know, you know what I mean? As soon as we start, you know, as soon as we enter into the presence of God, like, like flammable people, it doesn't take three worship songs, Michelle's intercession, end of the message, five hugs and three encouragements. Oh, I feel the love of God now. Okay, I'm going to go home, right? As soon as... Ding, right? And then one, one little nod of bow. Like that means the presence of God is here, right? And we can encounter and we can know and we can access that love. It means, man, I'm discouraged right now, but I just have to shift my heart one second away from this problem and focus on the Lord, on what he's done. And I can access that presence of God. Being flammable means it doesn't take you 17 hours to be set on fire again, right? If you, if it's so hard for you to reconnect with God, it means you've removed yourself from the altar and you've been walking in like Siberia, right? You need to stay on the altar, stay hot, stay burning for God, stay on the altar, right? It says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. Be cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times, but pray all the harder. When your own desires, ideas, understanding, ambitions, fears, questions come up, you got to tie yourself to the altar. Okay? When it's the most difficult to live a life surrendered to God, that's when you got to just like, Put your seatbelt on and say, I'm stick, I'm sticking right here in this spot. Like everybody else is going to get off the altar. Everyone else is going to get off the car, get out of the car. I promise. But in those moments, guys, that's when you just got to buckle in. It doesn't last forever. Okay. The altar is not always a comfortable place, but it's the only place you can stay on fire for God in the long run. Okay. It's the only place because that's a place of surrender. 
<clears throat> at the retreat, um, for those of you who weren't there, we did the last night, Pastor John Michael, who is the pastor of Shilim Campus of New Philadelphia Church. New Philadelphia is the ministry that oversees Emmaus. And um, he, he, he preached a message on the fire of the Holy Spirit, on the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and then he noticed that the presence of God was thick in the room. He just kind of stopped preaching, and he was like, okay, we're going to just pray for people now. And, and we knew that he wanted to pray for everybody in the room. And so the first altar call he did, though, was he said, SNU Malaysians, come down, okay? And something very peculiar happened because these SNU Malaysian students, they started coming down through the altar, but before anyone even prayed for them, before they even got there, they were like bugging out, okay? The Holy Spirit, the love of God, the presence of God was so thick and tangible that on the way down, they were already like, ah, and like crying, Jesus, you're so real, you know? They were already getting messed up. Nobody was even praying for them. And by the time they were here, I think someone was already on the floor crying, right? And so I was like so excited to pray for them because I'm like laughing, like look at how much, you know? Okay, What happened was a flammable people were called to the altar, okay? And as God began to light that place on fire, as God began to pour out his fire in the room, he chose a newspaper. He chose a little twig that were going to catch on fire really fast and burn really, really fast to get things hot, right? To get things started. These Malaysians were so flammable for God. And it's literally like as soon as they got to the altar, we didn't even pray. We were just you know, praying the altar ministers, but everyone in the room started, "Ah!" and the people started crying, Malaysia, you know, people who didn't even know what Malaysia was were, "Ah, Malaysia, Jesus loves Malaysia, you know, what was, what the heck is going on? Does that even make sense? No, it does not make sense, okay? What was happening was God, he began to impart and reveal his heart for these students and also for the nation they represent to everyone in the room. That's a supernatural thing. A supernatural revelation of his heart, okay? When they came up here, the reason that they're so flammable, guys, is because I, I've been shepherding these Malaysians, okay, for a long time. They've gone through a lot of stuff, okay? Every single one of them, family stuff, personal stuff, relational stuff. Like every, a lot of things have been going very difficult in their lives personally. But guess what? They stayed on the altar, They've been through trials and tests and they didn't stay, they didn't remove themselves from the altar, but they stayed even when it got hot, even when it got uncomfortable. And God set them ablaze. They've been walking in that fire of God. So by the time they get to the, they're already burning, right? And then they were so easily set ablaze. Everybody in the room, their hearts started burning when they saw them, right? For this nation that they didn't even care about a minute ago. Okay. It's about being flammable. Being flammable, staying on the altar, even when it's difficult, even when you feel like it's too uncomfortable, I'm just too tired. Is it even worth it? You just got to stay on the altar, okay? Um, (laughs) Okay, all right. What time did I start preaching? Does anyone know? Seven forty-five. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Good. All right. Because I want to pray at the end, so we gotta make sure I ration my time well. Um, my my pastor, my shepherd, okay, has told me that I cannot preach for more than forty-five minutes. So, like, okay. Um, all right. So, um, so one is daily the little things seek the Lord. Two is stay on the altar, stay flammable. And three is to carry promises to full maturity. Okay? Carry the promises to full maturity. Albert, I got a witness with Albert. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, and the way that you carry the promises of God to full maturity is through prayer. This is the focus of my message. I didn't even want to say the other stuff, Okay? I just knew I had to. I actually want to just talk about this, okay? So if you weren't listening, start listening now, everyone, okay? Carry the promises to full maturity through prayer, through prayer, okay? And 
I want to talk about prayer a little bit here because I've never preached on prayer to you guys before. And some of you guys have been hanging out with Michelle at 615. She's been telling you guys the heart of prayer and intercession. So you guys may know this already. But some of you have not. You were in other teams or you just don't come early. That's okay. I'm going to talk about prayer right now. All right. We begin prayer, guys. We begin prayer by seeing God rightly and then by seeing ourselves rightly. Okay, and and when when it's when prayer is something that we haven't done in a while or when prayer is something that's difficult for us or something that we don't really have a heart for yet. It's so it's so hard to it's so hard to just jump in and have a heart that's burning for prayer and intercession. Okay, and so the first place you start is not just with the need and with yourself, but it's first by seeing God rightly. And I want you to open up your Bibles to Isaiah, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter six. And um, Julian, can you hand me my Bible? to my purse behind you. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 6. This is a very significant passage of scripture to me um, because before I got saved, God had kind of prepared my heart for Korea through this message. I preached a message on this before at New Philly a long time ago. Um, but Isaiah chapter 6, a really, really cool thing happens. Okay, I'm going to read it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thrust Threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. There is a Todd Agnew song from the 90s. He sings this this chapter of Isaiah. And it wrecked me, okay, before I got saved. And it says, just this, and and it's like, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He's just saying it. It's so good. It, it was so crazy good. And, and, and I just saw this picture of God, right? And, and I was like, what a, what a powerful passage. Isaiah, the prophet of the Lord that God is sending to deliver this message, right, to a vast people who would probably not listen to him, Before Isaiah does anything, he gives Isaiah a vision of himself on a throne, okay? He says, Isaiah, I want you to see something. And what you see here is going to change everything about how you live and how you do ministry. And what he saw was God, the king, seated on a throne. And one really cool detail that I always overlooked was the train of his robe. Everyone say the train of his robe. The train of his robe filled the temple. Okay, what does that mean? Why, why did the biblical writer here decide to talk about the Lord's wardrobe? Does it really matter compared to all the other stuff that's happening? And I began to do research on it because, you know, like sometimes when you read the Bible, guys, and some random thing sticks out to you and you're like, that's weird. And then you keep reading, but then you're still thinking, why am I thinking about that still? Sometimes, guys, sometimes it's because of your ADD. Other times, it's because Holy Spirit wants you to linger there. Sometimes Holy Spirit uses your ADD tendencies, okay, to, to get you to focus on something. You actually think this is talking about something, but God wants you to focus on this, okay? And, and I knew God wanted me to talk, think about the train of his robe. So I did a little research, and what happened was in the ancient Near East, in this time, um, <clears throat> when a king, okay, and a people, and his people would battle against another king and, and his people, the victorious king would cut the, the robe, cut part of the robe off the losing king, okay, off his robe, and he would stitch it to the train of his own robe. Okay, did that make sense? So I am king of the people of Rona, okay? Tom is king of another people, and if Tom, the king, beats me, that means my robe, 
he's cutting off the train of my robe and he's going to stitch it onto his robe, right? So when you look at a king's robe, if you see a king with a, a robe that has a very long train, it means that they have won many, many victories, right? Because all the other kings, their robes are stitched onto that king. Now, God calls in Isaiah. He's got a really big task at hand, overwhelming task at hand. He might die, okay? He doesn't know what's going to happen to his life. And God says, I want to show you something, Isaiah. I'm, I'm this king, this victorious king seated on a throne. Angels are worshiping me everywhere. And the train of my robe, guys, is so big that it fi- it's like if, it, if this was a temple, it, it's filling up the entire room. You can't walk here without stepping on the train of the robe, right? It's so big. And God's saying, Isaiah, look at the train of my robe, okay? And then Isaiah gets freaked out, and he's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die, God. I can't do this. And then God's like, he, you know, he, he, he took a coal from the altar, which is burning, right? The altar of consecration, the altar of cleansing, the altar of, of God's consuming fiery love. And he touched it to Isaiah's lips, and he made Isaiah clean with that fire, okay? And then Isaiah's like, okay, I can do it now, all right? God has sent me. But why would God want Isaiah to see the train of his robe, the train of his victory, Because whenever we go into a place of intercession and prayer, guys, what happens is a lot of times we become overwhelmed with the need, right? We either become overwhelmed with our inability, our lack of discipline, our lack of passion, our lack of zeal, our lack of knowledge, or we become overwhelmed by how much there is to pray for in your family, in your friends, in your campus, in your in your school, everything, or if you even go even broader, the nations, right? Businesses, like there's so much corruption and evil. It's almost like, hey, I don't even want to know anything because if I know a little bit, it's already so overwhelming. Like if I care about Malaysia, like I'm going to want to care about Cambodia and it's just too much to care about. It's too big of a burden. It's too much evil. I don't, I can't, right? But then that's why we start prayer with one seeing God rightly. He says, come into my temple. The train of my robe is filling the temple. Okay? The first thing God shows you is himself. Prayer starts with seeing God. Seeing who this God is. This God who has never lost a battle. This God who, if you actually see him, all you can see are his victories. It doesn't matter how weak you feel, how apathetic you feel, how ineffective you feel, how much evil there is in the world, how much there is to pray for, because the train of his robe fills the temple. And he has never, ever lost a battle. Okay? If you start prayer without seeing God rightly, your prayers are going to be very, very weak. And very, very sad because you're going to be overcome with the overwhelming need, right? But you have to be overcome by the overwhelming victories of God. That's where you start in prayer. It's by seeing God. Why do we start large group with with worship? Okay, True worship is to help us to fix our eyes on God and turn away from ourselves and all the other crap that's around us, okay? I had a sucky day. I was late for class. I got a bad grade. All the stuff, my dog, you know, has fleas or whatever. And then you just you just got, get to engage with God and you get to look at who he is. That's what worship is supposed to direct our attention to him. And when our attention is directed to him, everything begins to change down here with us. Okay, so prayer starts with seeing him rightly and two, prayer starts with seeing yourself rightly. <clears throat> Ephesians 1:17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This prayer that Paul prays is, I pray that your eyes will be opened, church. 
that you may know the power and the greatness that God has given to you because of your place in Christ. Christ is seated by God. He's the head of the church, and we're the body. Everything, every power, every enemy, every form of opposition, every disease, every sickness, everything we would ever need to pray against is underneath the feet of Christ, right? And if Christ is the head of the church and we are the body, that means everything is underneath our feet, okay? In Christ, we have victory. So we enter into prayer seeing God rightly for who he is, the victorious king, the all-victorious glorious king and secondly by seeing ourselves rightly right in relation to that seated on the throne is god next to him is jesus and in christ is us that means we already start in victory that means we start our prayer already winning okay we start already having victory so when you start off I'm so sick. My parents are arguing all this stuff. You see the need first. You start off in defeat. You start off begging like an orphan who's powerless, right? But if you start off seeing who God is and seeing who you are in that, you start off knowing that it's just a matter of time until the victory is won because you've already got it, right? You're claiming the victory that's already been given to you in Christ. Completely different kind of prayer. And this one probably won't even get answered, okay? And there's a reason for that. It's because when you have been saved by Christ, the spirit of sonship has been given to you. And what that means is you've been adopted into God's family. Okay? You were orphaned far from God, an enemy of God. He could not hear you even if he wanted to. Okay? Your sin separated you from God, and this chasm was unbreachable. Okay? But in Christ, you have this crazy close access to God now and the spirit of sonship in you. Now, a father can hear the voice of his son and answer. But when you go to the father as an orphan begging, he cannot hear you. He doesn't recognize you because that's not who you are. Okay? You have to go to the father as an adopted son. Okay? When an orphan goes into a house, they're really apologetic. They have to ask for everything. They have to be really quiet. They don't want to be a burden to anyone. Right? Please, can I have some bread? Please, can you spare some water? Okay? They, they don't want to cause any problems, right? But when, a son, when you go into your own house, right, from college break, you go home, right? And you, you know that your parents stocked up the refrigerator for your visit, okay? You go in, and the first thing you do, you open the fridge, you grab all the stuff. You know, you know your mom made your favorite food. And then you go, and you know she's doing your laundry. Like, she did this all for my brother. Ugh. Okay, sometimes for me too. But you know that, like, you know that it's been prepared for you, and it's your house, right? An orphan acts completely different than a son. And in the kingdom of God, it says every spiritual blessing in heaven has been given to you through Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means there's a house. God has stocked it up, okay? And when you became a believer in Christ, the spirit of adoption has been given to you. You're a son now. So stop apologetically making your way quietly through the house. Stop begging the father for stuff okay it all belongs to you so you just go in and you grab it you grab what you need you grab it because it's yours okay god he sent his son not so you could be like an orphan the rest of your life begging him okay he sent his son so that he could have an intimate relationship with you as a father to his child do you know how heartbreaking it is if a father who loves their children so much that the children come up to them just begging right? You don't want your sons to do that. You want your sons and daughters to take their place, to claim what belongs to them, okay? And that mindset changes the way we pray dramatically. So knowing who God is, seeing him rightly, seeing yourself rightly, not going to God powerless, pitiful as an orphan, but going to him powerful, going to him in faith, going to him knowing that he is a father who answers and hears us. Um, our prayers start changing from, God, I beg you, help me. I can't do this, God, please, 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 to, God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that your word says this promise. I thank you that you're already moving on my behalf. God, I thank you that this healing belongs to this person, right? It's completely different the way an orphan prays and the way a son prays. We have to see ourselves rightly as we pray. 
you know, all we really need is faith the size of a mustard seed. And there's been times where I was really struggling in my personal life. And I remember I'd go to God in tears, you know. And I, and I know it, the word of God says that God is close to the broken heart and the crushed in spirit. Like, those prayers, he hears them. And I know that he has, like, a place in his heart for people who, you know, like, if you're really going through something and you're like, oh, Jesus, help me. I do it all the time, okay. And, and I remember one time, though, I was, like, struggling with the same thing. And I was like, God, I can't do this so hard everything's so hard help me help me i didn't hear anything i remember i did that for like like a long like longer than i should have i was just groveling and like feeling sorry for myself and i was i felt really deserted by god because i didn't feel his presence i didn't feel his comfort i mean he comforted me before when i was brought this to him like a long time ago but this time there's nothing and then just one little one little 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 bitty piece of faith like stirred in my heart. And I was like, God, please help me. God, I can't do this too. God, I thank you that you're for me. Okay? That little transition, that little move over from desperate, pathetic orphan, you know, who's been abandoned by God to like, thank you that you're for me. The presence of God came into my room. And this victory started rising in my heart. It just takes faith the size of a mustard seed. Just takes a little faith, guys, and God will meet you. Just takes a little bit, okay? The grace of God is extended to you, but you just got a little bit of faith, okay? And he even gives you that. If you can't even get that little inkling, you ask God for more faith, and he will give it to you, okay? That's how gracious he is. So good, okay? All right, so I'm preaching too long on that. Um, all right, so next, okay, we pray, we see God rightly, we see ourselves rightly. And second is we have to let God break our hearts. We have to give God access to our hearts, okay? Many Christians, guys, never get this. It never happens because in a lot of Christian circles, it's more about people-pleasing and gaining a large audience than it is about really getting the heart of God and making people uncomfortable. But luckily, you're in this room, and it's different, okay? So, um, you know, some of us, we shy away from prayer because it's hard, because it's uncomfortable, because, or because we literally don't feel any burning passion for anything, okay? So it's hard for us to weep and mourn for some random nation or person when, when I don't feel anything. If I just start crying, I'm going to be faking it, right? So, right? Or I'm, I can't pray with passion because I don't feel any passion for that. Am I just supposed to make it up? No. No, you're not, okay? You don't have to be discouraged if your heart doesn't burn for anything or if you don't have a burden for anything. You don't have to think there's something wrong with you. But God says in his word, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart from you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He promises us that in Ezekiel 36. I'll take your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. I'll give you a new heart. Okay? God, I don't feel like my heart breaks for anything. It's hard for me to pray. I'll give you a new heart. I'll, I'll give you a soft heart. Okay? You just got to ask him for it. If you seek him daily and you ask him, God, can you give me your heart? Can you soften my heart? Can you break my heart for something that breaks yours? You can't do that for very long. You can't press into God long and that not happen to you. I promise. If you keep asking him, like, it will happen to you. I promise that he will break your heart eventually, okay? If you ask him, he will. Um, Because it's promised in the word of God. The word said that the Holy Spirit searches out the heart of God and makes it known to us. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in Romans 8, right? So we've got God the Father, this God who, who has mysteries unsearchable in his heart. Holy Spirit that's deposited in us, the same Holy Spirit that's in us, searches out this infinite heart of God the Father, Right? And then he makes known to us the mysteries of God's heart, okay? That is intense, okay? That Holy Spirit that searches out God's heart is in us, and if we ask for it, will reveal to us the mysteries of God's heart, okay? That is what intercession is all about. You know, if you want to make a difference on this earth, 
It's not going to come through business, money, manpower, your good intentions, okay? All those things are great. But real change, lasting change and transformation only comes by the gospel of God and only comes through the power of prayer. That is what's true, okay? That is absolute truth. And I can give you guys example after example after example about how that's true. But I can't right now, okay? Rabbi Zechariah says, you will never lighten any load from anyone else until you feel the pressure in your own soul. Will you let God break your heart? Will you be a part of his plans? He explained that all the human suffering and pain and burden on this earth, that's like, can you imagine every starving orphan, every person who's dying of a a chronic disease, every evil thing that's ever been done, all the pain on the earth, right? That's a lot of pain, right? All of that is in the heart of God, okay? If you've ever had a heart for anyone and your heart broke for any person, that most pain you've ever felt, okay? God carries all of that in his heart. No human can carry that much pain, right? And when we lean into him, God is looking for sons and daughters who want to know his heart. And, and Rabbi Zacharias explains that he, he portions out just a little piece, a bearable, a manageable amount of his breaking heart for all of that suffering, and he places it in different people. Oh, why do I wake up today and I'm weeping for Cambodia? Okay, that's weird. I don't even know where that is. It's a little piece of God's heart deposited in me, right? He has all of that in his, and he gives it to each of us. That's what intercession is all about. It's not just making up emotion or passion for something random, okay? Many of us, though, we don't want that. We're like, that sounds very uncomfortable. It sounds kind of annoying and bothersome. It sounds like it's going to take some time and energy and doesn't sound that delightful. I don't want to bother with that, okay? And that, guys, is really, really sad because What happens when you access God's heart for that topic is you access his heart in a greater way for you as well. You know depths of his love that you could have never known, right, apart from that. C.S. Lewis said in The Four Loves, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. Your heart won't be broken but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love it all is to be vulnerable. You see, God gives us his fire for a purpose. It's to give us more of his heart, more of his power to love and to do his work on this earth, to bring his kingdom to this earth. And I feel like God is asking us, how much do you want to be a part of my plans on this earth? You can say at any moment, guys, that's enough for me. I just want a comfortable life. It's enough for me, it's enough for me, and just say, that's, that's all, right? I, I don't want any more. But I believe he's asking, he's asking some of you, will you come even closer to the fire? Will you come even closer to my presence? Will you stay on the altar? And do some of you guys want my heart? Do you really, we sang earlier, closer, right? Pull me a little closer, take me a little deeper, I want to know your heart. And I wonder if, we actually mean a lot of the lyrics we're singing. Do we really want to know his heart? Because if we really want to know his heart, it's going to change the way we live. Will you let your hearts break for the things that are breaking God's heart in this very moment? You know, many people come to me, and, and I met so many different kinds of people through New Philly and Emmaus, and they've been to church their whole life. They led all this stuff, missions teams. They've, they've served. They've, they know, they've read their Bible 52 times, and they can tell me all the scripture from whenever. And, and it sounds like they're so mature and super Christian. And then I ask them to do one thing, one thing to serve, one thing to inconvenience themselves, put themselves out there, and... Oh, I, 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 actually, I can't. No, I don't think so. No, 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 no. Yeah, I, I can't. Actually, I have, no, right? But then I meet, like, 
a new believer or, you know, someone who hasn't read their Bible 52 times and they don't seem that they're that mature, they just come or whatever. And I ask them to do something and they're all about it. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll serve. I'll lay my life down. And I know what's going on, okay? And it's really easy to tell, to discern what's going on. Um, A book I'm reading, it says, Real spiritual maturity is determined by our willingness to sacrifice our own desires for the interests of the kingdom and for the sake of others. Letting our hearts break for the things on God's heart is an inconvenient thing. It's a selfless thing. But that's what Christian maturity is all about. Ephesians 6, 10 10 through 20, it's talking about the armor of God, right? And it starts off and it says that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. And then it ends by saying, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or prayer for the saints. This fight on this earth, Lasting transformation, if you want to make a difference, guys, it's not going to be by fighting flesh and blood. It's not going to be through might or by power. It's going to be by the Spirit of God. You're going to have to know His heart supernaturally and pray in the Spirit. That is how change comes. It's going to be inconvenient and selfless. Okay? That's the only way things are going to happen, though. No matter what profession, no matter what place you end up living, if you really want to see change in an area, it's going to be through his spirit, through prayer. The third thing and last thing I want to mention tonight is do not abort the promises. Do not abort the promises, okay? <clears throat> Many times we seek God daily, we read the word, we come up to altars or we, we encounter his heart. It, our hearts do break for something. My heart breaks for the orphan. My heart breaks for the widow. My heart breaks for people who are like, trapped in in this education system in korea my heart breaks for sex traffic victims okay we have hearts that are broken for things but something really peculiar happens because because we don't really see anything transforming in us or around us and we sometimes get discouraged because we don't see a fruitfulness right and then we just sometimes fizzle out we remember we're really passionate for some cause at some point but then nothing really happens with that It's not just about getting a broken heart, guys. It's not just about getting a glimpse of God's heart, but it's learning how to steward that fire. It's learning how to steward that heart. It's learning how to carry that, okay? And what I mean by that is when you begin to get a heart that's breaking for something on God's heart, you have to learn that, like, as soon as your heart breaks for it, he starts speaking promises and words to you, okay? And it's all about stewarding those words after that. And that's where many people just stop, okay? And that's what I mean by aborting the promises. Um, I'm reading a book on spiritual warfare. And this, this book is talking about how the word abortion describes a spiritual truth, okay? The quote says, Abortion is an induced termination of pregnancy and expulsion of an embryo or fetus. Once the woman consents to an abortion, she becomes both victim and perpetrator. Spiritual abortion is similar. Spiritual abortion destroys an individual, businesses, ministries, organizations, or any other entity's chance of maximizing potential or fulfillment of a purpose. Abortive activities include laziness, gossip, fear, Underbelief and slander. Each one of these activities has the power to terminate things such as ministries, business opportunities, relationships, purpose, and potential. Spiritual abortion kills the many different blessings that heaven is pregnant with for you. Your dreams and visions, plans and purpose, desires and aspirations. The delivered Hebrew slaves never made it into the promised land. Their entire future prosperity and life was aborted because of fear and underbelief. The enemy continually tries to destroy in infancy what he cannot destroy in adulthood, in maturity, right? Your heart breaks for something. You receive promises from God. You're weeping at the altar on fire. Yeah, Jesus for Malaysia, okay? You want to give your life for something and see breakthrough. 
But crazy stuff starts happening in your family, in your life, school, bad grades, right? Discouragements. You got, you got a lot of stuff happening. And then, and then you just start dropping it one by one by one by one. And, and I feel like that today is what I saw in that picture the Lord showed me. He put these seeds in our hands, right? Seeds are symbolic of his words, of his promises. They look very unpromising and dry. They take planting, watering, sunlight. It takes stewarding those seeds to see a fruitfulness. But in that place, instead of it, a lot of times we're just throwing it on the ground or we're just dropping them when difficulties come, right? And sometimes I wonder how many words a lot of us have aborted. How many words have been spoken over each of us personally, right? You're a mighty warrior. You're victorious. You're going to see victory in this area of your life. You were meant for this, right? How many personal words God spoken to you through his Bible, through your leader, but the seed was placed in your hand and you just threw it on the ground? Whether it's through fear or unbelief or just laziness or apathy, right? I don't think that's going to happen. I don't really care anyway. You just drop it on the ground. Or, or I wonder if it's collective things, right? Words spoken over your family. Words spoken over your friends. Words spoken over SNU Emmaus. Words spoken over your city, over your nation. And it seemed like it was just so impossible. And how can that happen? That, that word looks so weak. That seed looks so dry and brittle. How is anything going to come out of that seed, right? You just throw it on the ground. Abortion. Guys, it means a termination of something very early on, right? It's the killing of dreams, plans, purposes, promises, things that heaven is pregnant with, that we're meant to incubate and carry out to full term, that we're meant to birth on the earth, right? Through our prayers. How do you carry something to full term? It's through intercession. It's through prayer. Planting it in the ground. Prayer and faith are like sunlight and water. That's how you see it grow in your life. It's through prayer. You know, um, my first year in Korea, some of you guys know my story, but I have to tell you guys this because it's, it's such a key thing in my life. My first year in Korea, I was absolutely depressed. I was doing amazing, and I, I hated it, okay? Hated it, everything about it, hated planning pizza parties. I was really serious and read a lot of books, and I did not want to hang out with college students. And I um, thought it was a waste of my time. I did not have any friends. I did not have fun. Korea's polluted. I did not like anything about my life. I had made a long-term commitment to my church, though, and I told my spiritual leader at the end of my first year here, I made a mistake, and I want to go back to America. Okay, I'm going to leave, right? And, and luckily, she said, if you leave now, Rona, you're going to abort many promises, many things that God wants to do in your life. And I had, I, I was very foolish, but the one thing I had was like submission, you know, and loyalty or whatever. So like I stayed because I was submitted to her. Thank God. That's what one thing I had in the midst of all my foolishness. And it's before I met any of my best friends that I have today, like people who will stand with me until my dying day, right? It's before I met any of them. It's before I discovered all these crazy things about Korea that I am in love with. Like, if I have to ever leave this land, I'm going to have a really hard time. I love it that much. It's supernatural, okay? Before I knew we'd ever have Emmaus at SNU, okay? I didn't like Emmaus, honestly, till I came here, okay? It's before um, Bo ever wandered into my familia, super confused and crying, and a hot mess. It's before I ever knew she would lead worship so anointed and powerfully here, okay? It's before I met all you Malaysians who stole my heart, who I love as my own children, okay? It's before um, I got to lead Gina or Amy to Christ. It's before I knew Jung and Hyo could walk in the authority and anointing and wholeness that they walk in right now. Um, you see, my first year, God gave me a bunch of really misshapen, ugly seeds, Okay, and and he was like, "Look at this, Rona. Look at what I put. Like, you're gonna have such a fruitful, beautiful life in Korea. You're gonna you're gonna love it. Your life is so blessed." And I looked around me, 
everything sucked. And I looked in my hand, and there's just brittle, dry, ugly seeds that I, and I didn't even want them, okay? Emmaus, what? I don't want that to grow. I'm not going to plant that. No way. You know, I don't want that to grow. And I was just like, heck no. I just threw every, I threw it on the ground. Korea, no. Long-term Korea, no. Emmaus, no. These people, no. I don't like Korean Americans. Everything on the ground, okay? Everything on the ground. And I'm like, I'm getting out of here. I aborted every single promise. I didn't want it. The seeds looked horrible, okay? Luckily, my spiritual mentor, my spiritual mom said, she kept putting it in my seat, my hands anyway. She you take it, right? Take it in your hands. I remember so many times, I, like, I tried to leave a maze, too, and she just kept giving it to me. And then, little by little, I started planning. Okay, Korea is where you want me to be, God? I'm going to plant this seed in faith, okay? Korea, I'm going to water it. I'm going to water it. I'm going to put a little faith, a little sunlight on it. Whoa, I didn't know Korea was so beautiful. I love it here, okay? Oh, I'm going to have blessed friendships here, Best friends here? I'm so lonely, God. No one gets me here. I hate everyone. Oh, okay, okay. This seed is in my hand. doesn't look very promising, but I'm planted in the ground. A little bit of prayer, a little bit of faith. I can't think about some of my friends now without crying because I'm so overwhelmed with thankfulness that I had the honor of knowing them, okay? I didn't know them that first year. They were just little seeds, okay? Emmaus? That seed was the ugliest of them all. <laughs> I was like, I did not want to plant this seed in my life, right? And then I, I just did, I planted it, a little bit of prayer, a little bit of watering. And one night, over a year ago, I, I, I was praying. All of a sudden, some of your faces, they flashed before my mind. And, and I've never experienced anything like this before. I've experienced the love of God for me personally, but I've never experienced anything like this. Like, like, this weighty, crazy, painful, burning love just came and rested on my heart. And I was, the, my room in Pogwangdong, Itaewon, was, was full with the tangible presence of God. And, and I could not understand how I could live after feeling the weight of this love for this 20-year-old grown human being, right? That I, I didn't think much of before. And, and I, I thought... I can't live because this love is like bursting in my heart for them. And I just started weeping and weeping and praying for this college student. And, and man, um, a little bit of prayer, a little bit of watering and sunlight. And man, Emmaus has grown into something very, very fruitful. And, and when I think about my life, guys, I think about, all the places I could be, all the things I could be doing, all the places in the world I could be living right now. But when I see your faces, and when I think about the faces of people we've already sent off, when I think about the lives that have been changed, there is no other place I would have rather have spent these last three years. It's, it's unbelievable how amazing it's been how much of an adventure, how much of a blessing, how much of an honor. I'm like humbled at it that God would let me be a part of what he's doing. And if I would have been able to leave and abort all those words and promises, just drop those seeds on the ground, I would have missed out on so much blessing. Okay? Do not abort the promises and words of God. Plan it. Okay? Incubate it. Bring it to full term through prayer. Okay. <clears throat> and I think I want to ask each of you, what are some of the promises? What are some of the seeds that God's placed in your hands? These dry, unpromising, brittle, ugly seeds. Okay. You look at it and you, you hear your, your familiar leader say something. You hear your pastor say something. You hear a promise of God. You feel a burning of the Lord. You see this seed and you're like, it just doesn't look attractive to me. You just want to throw it on the ground or you just don't think it's possible, right? What are the things that are aborted in our lives based on fear or unbelief or apathy or indifference, right? Tonight, I believe God is giving us a window of opportunity to take those seeds and to plant them, to begin to pray. I believe that tonight there's a window of opportunity 
to intercede for things, to see breakthrough, to see things come into full maturity. There's a grace extended. If it's been hard for you to carry these promises to full term, if it's been easy for you to abort the words and promises of God, just let them go. Just let them fall out of your hands. Tonight, there's a grace for you. There's a grace for all of us to lay hold of it and to see fruitfulness, to see the promises carried a full term. All right? And I want to have Bo come on the keys and just spend a little time in prayer. I went over time, so we're just going to go for it, okay? It's okay. Um, You know, when I first got saved, um, you guys know that I had an abusive father, and uh, my one of my biggest issues was forgiving him. And when I received Christ's forgiveness, I began to feel stirred to forgive my father. Soon after I forgave him, I started praying for my dad every single night before I go to bed that he would meet Jesus, that he would encounter God. And I prayed the same prayer. God gave me a little bitty seed, a little bitty piece of his heart for my dad. And I would see, I would, I would pray the same prayer. And that seed was, God, I pray that you'll send my dad someone who will minister to him, who will bring your light, who will tell him about Jesus. I pray. Because he was like in Thailand, the Philippines. I could never have access to him. God, I pray that you will send someone to minister to my dad. I pray that every single day, right? Nothing happened. But I continue to pray, water that seed, carry that seed, carry, okay? Heaven is pregnant with the promises of God, okay? And I continue to bring it to the Lord, to continue to incubate it in my prayers. And I remember getting a Facebook message like over a year later from this random lady named Rosemary Datu from the Philippines who owned a bed and breakfast. And she Facebook messaged me and said, Rona, I'm an evangelist, and your dad lives in my bed and breakfast with his wife, his new wife, and, um, and every single day, I open up the curtains in his room, I let the sunlight in, and I tell him that Jesus loves him and died for him. Every single day, I tell him to come out to my church with me. Every day, he says, he says no, but every day I'm going, and I'm telling him about the love of God, and... I want you to know, sister, he told me about your faith, and I've got him. You don't have to worry about your dad. You don't have to worry about your dad, right? And I remember just thinking, what the heck? I did not think that you would answer that prayer, right? But thank God I kept watering that little seed. Thank God when God showed me that little thing, when he spoke that little word, I didn't just drop it on the ground. Because my dad ended up passing away, guys. I never had a chance to share the gospel with him, but I know he heard it. I know that someone was revealing the love of God to him every single day. And after he passed away, his wife, his new wife, received the Lord through that woman. Okay? Do not abort the promises of God. Do not abort those seeds. Okay? It's through prayer that we bring them to full maturity. I have so many stories like that in my own life. My mom, supernatural healing, like crazy stuff. Um, Michelle Flickinger shared her testimony, guys. Her parents opposed her going to church. Her brother on drugs in jail. I sat across from him. I had to see her, you know, see her brother in prison, right? And tell him about the love of God, not knowing if he'd ever get out. But we continue to pray. And now her parents are on fire, Okay? It's still difficult sometimes, but her parents know the Lord. They're seeking him, which is a miracle in and of itself. But her brother got released. Her brother's off drugs. He's out of prison. He's now in this, like, Jesus crazy camp in Hawaii, okay? Like, crazy stuff happens when you carry out the promises of God to full maturity. And tonight, God is extending that to you. Do you want to be a part of this? Do you want to be a part of what he's doing on this earth? Do you want it? Because he wants to partner with you, every single one of you. Will you carry these promises out to full maturity? I want you to close your eyes.